So we are in the middle of a series called Love Where You Live, and the idea is to sort of absorb the, the local church and the role of the local church in the community, how we relate to each other, how we relate to our neighbors, coworkers, et cetera, et cetera. Before I go into what we're going to talk about today, I wanted to show you, uh, recommend a book. Um, this, this book is written by uh, Glenn Scrivener, and it's called The Air We Breathe, how we all came to believe in freedom, kindness, progress, and equality. And uh, if you are interested in just getting a, a, a bit more of a sense of just the impact of biblical culture and how it, what it had on something that we consider absolutely normal, that's sort of the title is The Air We Breathe, um, you're going to love this book because some of the things that we consider, hey, this is just the way things are supposed to be in our culture, um, actually are deeply... Uh, in, rooted in biblical culture that sort of Im infused the air we breathe with some of the things that we love and, and we just don't even associate it with the Bible anymore, right? But this is going to be an inspiring read for you if you're, if you're curious. So we are a couple of weeks away from a conference that happens in our fellowship, Family of Churches, every, I think, four years, right? It's called the World Discipleship Summit. And we... This particular, and it happens in Orlando this year, there's, it's every four years, I believe. Is, Deb, is it every four years that it happens? Huh? Every how many? Ten. Ten years. Yeah, so it's every four years, but it was postponed a couple of times because of the pandemic. So this particular um, event is really cool because you see people literally from all over the world there, and they almost like there's an Occupy Orlando situation going on, right? So, uh, and one of the, it's, it's wonderful on a number of levels, right? First, there's over 10,000 Christians from all over the world from our fellowship of churches. It's just unbelievably inspiring. The teaching is fantastic. There's like all kinds of tracks, like this, this conference, singles conference, family conference, this, that. There's like layers and layers of, of types of, of stuff that are, that are going on at the same time. Um, the fellowship is amazing. It's like heaven. It's a slice of heaven because you literally, there's a portion of a city that gets occupied and everybody is like us. Like it's our people, right? These are the people that you'll see in heaven, right? Um, and th th it's really fantastic. So I'm very, very excited that we're going. Um, some of you are going as well. But from all of the things that I, the, the reasons why I like going to things like that, Great teaching, great worship, sort of seeing a almost like a glimpse, a foretaste of heaven in a physical place. Here's the one, number one thing why I go. Is I want to connect and spend time with people that have shared experiences in the kingdom with me. People with whom I shared life with, hardship with, people we've sacrificed together, stood shoulder to shoulder together in different seasons in life. By far, that's the number one reason why I enjoy those things. The reason I tell you this is the sermon today is about that, right? Um, I was praying for the Holy Spirit to guide me of where to go, and here's what came to me, is that I, I decided to study all 13 letters of Paul 
and focus on on the very on the very last um, chat the last page if you imagine the manuscript right uh, at the very end and see what he focuses on and the reason I wanted to do that is because at the end of a letter you usually sort of highlight the most important stuff for you right the most important things go at the end it's almost like you know you if you if Paul if the Apostle Paul had an Instagram account that that's what it would be, it would be on his wall right his Instagram feed um, because he highlights things the, the most important of the most important and it was fascinating and I, so I went through every single every single book and I, I sort of extrapolated for you what he focused on in because I was looking for a pattern. What is the pattern? What are the things that make this particular set of letters, which has la have lasted for 2,000 years, inspired generations of people, billions of people, had, that have uh, outlasted empires, culture shifts, all kinds of things like that, ca catastrophes of all kinds, and still remains as the bedrock of Western civilization, right? What are some of the things that made this what it is? That's the, what are the, some of the things that make it a treasure for you and I today in 2022? Uh, and basically what I, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to show you why I came up with this. But uh, I sort of came up with four timeless truths that essentially either make you or break you in life. And these are the four timeless truths, and you'll see them in Paul's letters. Um, Life is hard, that's a timeless truth. People are messy, but God is good, and the church is life-giving, right? Life is hard, people are messy, but God is good, and the church is life-giving. So we're gonna go through, not through 13, but through nine of them, because we're gonna probably leave a few, uh, a few of them uh, for midweek on Thursday. But are you ready with me? Can, you, can we travel together to, to Paul's Instagram account for a bit? Okay, so the first one's letter, of, letter to the Romans. And, uh, and here's what he says. In Romans 16, 1 to 4, it says, I commend to you um, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Concrete. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. Uh, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only uh, I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So, so he, you, you see a highlight, right? This is a splash of insight of the things that he wants to communicate, the most important stuff. And, th and what he highlights is this, this woman, Pris Priscilla, who is a deacon, who is apparently super influential in the churches, and he's saying, please receive her, respect her. And, some, and he mentions a couple other names, Priscilla and Aquila, right? Other two people that are, that are givers, that are, they have authority in the churches. And then he proceeds, so I'm not gonna read the whole last page of every chapter of nine books for you, but what he does is he mentions 22 people by name specifically in his letter. 22 people. And not just, here's a list of, of people. He actually says why he's mentioning those people. And what he's, what he's communicating to them is that we, are sh we shared life together. These people suffered with me, invested in me, wrestled with me, walked with me, did life with me. Um, he, he mentions a couple of people at the end of, the, of that long list. He says, there's a, there's a guy called Andronicus and Junia, 
who were in prison with him. You know, he's greeting those people, right? Outstanding before the apostles, he's saying those two people not only were in prison, but they were outstanding before the apostles. They have a reputation with the rest of the apostles. And then he mentions trouble. And the trouble he mentions is that watch out for those who are causing division in the church. People are messy, right? And one of the, the funny thing is part of, the, part of the reason why life is hard, would you, agree, would you agree that life is hard sometimes? Would you agree that it's very hard to get away from that? Like if it's not one thing, it's another. Have you noticed that? Part of the reason why, part, uh, the, why life is hard is people. <laughs> Right? And th- there lies the tension that we're going to explore here. And then in Romans 16, 16, at the very end, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Right? So you don't have to kiss right now. But, but notice the change of tone. Notice the components. What I- what's the pattern here? He mentions trouble. He mentions people that are doing life together to the degree of going to prison together. And then he always ends at this, at this elevated note. He goes, greetings from all the churches to you. Greet each other with a holy kiss. He ends with like another, a, a list. This, was, this, is one, this one has a long list of people, right? He ends with six more people. And then he, like he mentions, to, I give you two examples. Gaius, who has, whose hospitality both Paul and the church enjoy. This is a guy with a big place of some kind, right? And then Erastus, he's the city's director of public works. He's writing this to the Romans from a place called Corinth. And Corinth is a commercial hub, very important city. So the director of public works was a member of the church. For some reason, he mentioned that. I don't know why. Okay, the second one is Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he mentions a trouble. He, uh, and an action to solve that trouble. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping, in keeping with your income, proportionate to your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So what is he saying? There's trouble, and the, in the context we know that the trouble specifically there, most likely, is that there was a huge economic crisis in Jerusalem. Huge. People were suffering. And Paul was basically asking a whole family of churches to sacrifice and donate money for the Christians in Jerusalem. And he's not only saying, hey, let's just, let's have, an, let's, I'll come to you and I'll and have a ask for a love offering. Like, you know, that's the term that p- many people use. No, he's, he's advising a different kind of approach. He's advising a disciplined approach of every first week you set aside something proportional to your income so it's generous according to you. And then he goes, I'll just swing by and pick it up and take it to Jerusalem later. Does that make sense? And th- that's the trouble and that's the fix that he's proposing there. He mentions another eight names very specifically, also in context. He doesn't just mention names. He mentions names in context with the things that they've been through together. And then he ends in in verse 20. He says what? All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with what? A holy kiss, baby. (laughs) 
It's kind of cool, right? Second Corinthians. Um, it's interesting. The first and second Corinthians both speak a lot about opposition to Paul. Like b basically people giving him trouble. His own people. In second Corinthians uh, 13, he says this. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. Now I repeat while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but he is powerful among you. So he is clearly ticked off, right? There's trouble. And there's opposition not only in the church or division in the church, but opposition specifically towards Paul. People are basically claiming that he doesn't speak for Christ. He's not a real apostle. And he's warning them. Like, that's, that's real talk to the family, right? At the end, he still lands on this, on this luminous note. And that's what you see as a pattern in every single closing of every letter, in spite of the trouble. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with what? A holy kiss. So he just goes on and on. But notice the, notice the cadence of the end of the letters. Notice that he mentions people. He mentions trouble. He mentions God as the solution every single time. And he mentions unity. Love with one another. In Galatians... Uh, the trouble in Galatians is false teaching. Basically, people coming in and teaching something that is not in accordance to, to, to the word of God. In Galatians 6, 9, he says, Let's not become weary of doing good. For all the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. In Galatians 6, 17, he's saying, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, <laughs> for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. So he's just, he, you can see he's just weighed down. Have you ever felt that way? Like, man, I'm worn down, relationally worn down. It's, th this is a relational statement, you know. You guys are giving me so much trouble. Can you please just stop, you know. <laughs> and then he's, re he's even referencing, like, I, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Like, that's how worn down I am. In Ephesians, the trouble mentioned there is relational. It's fathers don't exasperate children. Children, obey your, your, your parents. Then he talks about masters and slaves, which was a common thing. Slavery was a common thing. And he's basically trying to navigate the, com the complexity of, sl of slavery and the relationships of a slave being a Christian and the master being a Christian. How do you deal with that? That's a, that's a foreign concept to us. But that's what he was trying to navigate. And then in Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These words are super valuable for us, just like they were super valuable for them. Because a lot of the stuff that we see, the troubles that we experience and see, a lot of them we take personally. 
and we take it as our personal struggle of man against man, this faction against this faction, this party against this uh, party, this religion against this religion. And what Paul is saying, he's redirecting their sight, their view, their perspective to the heavenly realms. And he's basically saying, stop fighting. Stop being so bought into the political discussions about f- around factions because you, your, your, your fight is not against that. It's not against flesh and blood. Stop hating other people for what they believe, what they say, how they contradict you, etc., etc. Is that relevant to you and I? In Philippians, this is amazing. There's trouble. What is the trouble in Philippians? Well, he is writing to the Philippians from jail. Quite literally from jail. He's in chains when he writes this. And he writes one of the most optimistic, incandescent, luminous scripture in all of scripture. He says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. He repeats it. He says to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Would you be anxious if you were in chains? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about those things. It's the, we call it the 4-8 principle. What's the 4-8 principle? What you feed into your mind and heart will direct your sight and will direct your actions and will direct and shape the way you see the world. Have you seen the news last week? The last couple of weeks? It's good to be aware of what's going on. But how much attention and heart and emotion you give to that is going to shape you, what you see the world. If you are, allow yourself to be sucked into the headlines that are actually designed to get your attention. They, they, these are people in the proverbial lab coats designing content for your attention, for advertising, for clicks. And they're feeding off of your negative emotions. They're making money off of it. And instead of, instead of feeding them, feed your soul. That's what Paul is saying. You want to focus on the bad news that are, you have no control over whatsoever. It's good to be aware because you can take care of some of those needs. Right? But what you need to do is to let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that is the formula for a transformed life. This is a man who is in chains writing this. Think about it. Like, you could pause, it's very hard to imagine a worse situation to be in. And this is what flows out of his heart. He goes, guys, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious. 
Why is that? There's because he's transformed by the things he fixes his mind on. That is powerful stuff. Do you, do you know how much this can change your mood, your marriage, your relationships, your friendships, your parenting, your career, the way you serve others? The 4-8 principle. It's completely revolutionary and transformative. It can change your life forever. It can redirect your life. How much are you, are you doing of this versus what people, other people that are paid to get your attention? Ask yourself. Like, here's my, my policy since a long time ago is that I skim the news. I do not read articles unless I can do something about the thing that's there. I, I want to be aware in case I can, I can do something about it, and I do. But I do not feed my brain and my heart all of the gory details of all of the bad stuff that's going all over the world. We're not even wired to have a 24-hour bad news cycle. You're not wired to be, to be bombarded by all the tragedy and pain in the world. We're not even created to, to be able to handle that kind of thing. No wonder you're depressed. No wonder you're anxious. No wonder you're worried, right? This is, this is crucial and life-changing. All right, moving on, Colossians. In Colossians, uh, Paul again mentions 10 different people by name in con with context. And then he says this, uh, Tychicus, cool name, will tell you all the news about me Here's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Okay, so here's Paul, and he's saying, he's not saying, Tychicus will come to you and tell you how much we're suffering. No, no, no. He's saying, Tychicus is going to you to encourage you because things are thriving over here. Right? Thessalonians, the trouble there, the call to action in Thessalonians is respect your leaders, uh, in encourage the weak, warn the divisive. So he's just, he's dealing with people problems in the church. And then uh, uh, chapter 5, 16, he says this. He lands again on this. Lots of trouble still in the context. Trouble doesn't go away. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus do not quench the spirit. Why is he saying do not quench the spirit? Because we quench the spirit, right? How do you quench, quench the spirit? You don't pray continuously. <laughs> you don't thank God in all circumstances. And you don't follow God's will. That's how you quench the spirit. And when the, quen the spirit is quenched, guess what happens? Anxiety, worry, negativity, Stress and sin. Thessalonians, the second letter to the Thessalonians. Um, the trouble there is that someone in the church, for some reason, it was sort of a particularly charismatic sort of 
impulsive church, and somebody basically was sort of saying Jesus is they were, they were saying Jesus is coming back, the return of Jesus is imminent, and I and and of course Jesus himself says that no one knows when the, the hour is. So these people are saying, I, we know the, when the hour is, it's happening right now. So people basically started, basically stopped doing whatever that they were doing. You know, have you seen the, uh, what's the, what's the movie about, do you see the movie Look Up in Netflix? It's about this comet coming down. Uh, it's actually super hilarious. Uh, and it's basically, what do you know if the, the, end, the, the world is ending, right? Like, what do you do? And it's a really great study of, of human behavior and how we think about things and what's more important. And uh, so people there were sort of that. They were like, Jesus is coming back. Just relax and do nothing. And he was basically saying, first of all, we don't know. Please don't listen to those people. Right? They're destabilizing the church. And please work with your hands and stop being idle because people like, left their jobs. I quit, you know. And, and, and then they were hungry, whatever, right? Uh, so here's what it says. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions. So that, that was his instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So what he's telling you this here is that people are messy, and you need to learn to be discerning with people. Discerning with people. You love everybody, but you can warn some people and still not treat them as an enemy. Do you see the discernment there? That's pretty cool. And then the final greetings are, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. He always lands at this, right? Regardless of the trouble. Regardless of it. So we went through nine books in a very quick succession and sort of uh, on a highlight level. And we see this pattern across the board, which is really, really cool. That life is hard. And it's mostly beyond your control that life is hard. Mostly. Like some of the trouble is self-inflicted. Have you noticed that? Some of the trouble is self-inflicted. We can fix that. But a lot of it, most of it, it's actually beyond your control. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for rich, for poor, for happy, for unhappy, for introverts and extroverts, for women and men. It's going to be hard. People are messy. But we need to remember that I am messy too, and you are messy too. And you are a, a pain in the neck to somebody else as well. At any given time, you are a pain in the neck to somebody. Right? And most of the time, it's the people you love most. Right? So learning grace. Learning to forgive yourself. Learning discernment. How to treat other people. It's an art form. It's a beautiful thing you can learn in the church. But God is good, right? And he is the only source of true joy, peace, belonging. All good things flow from one place. God is good. And if you focus on God, if you do, if you just shift your attention to the word of God, to the will of God, to the presence of God, to the prayer, to thanksgiving, to worship, your life will change. Your life will change. And then the last thing is that the, the church is life-giving. And redeemed people redeem people. We're all broken in all kinds of different ways. But if you're redeemed and you know you're redeemed, you're going to help somebody else be redeemed as well. 
I had a, I had a lunch with a friend recently uh, who goes to the Northside Church. So we don't see each other often enough, right? But we've been friends for a long time, decades. And he was like, you know, this is a great, this is a spiritual man, man of God. And we, you know, after we talked about everything, and you know, everything that we had to talk about, like two, two hours, he goes, you know, I've been in a funk lately. I go, really? He goes, you know, it's just, you know, there's, there's been a couple of deaths. I have some friends who, who are just struggling right now. So there's a lot of pain with people that are close to me. And, um, and I've been in, I, f- I feel like I have no friends. And this is, a, this is someone who has tons of people who love him, respect him. He has friends. But he goes, I, I, I know that people love me, but I feel lonely. And he goes, I guess I'm saying all these things to just say we should hang out more. Right? And the reason I tell you that, and I said, absolutely, I love you. Let's do more of this, right? The reason I tell you this is, is that life is hard. You can't really help that. You know, it just ebbs and flows. There are better seasons, worse seasons, better seasons, worse seasons. And there's always something that is a source of pain and worry and anxiety. It just doesn't go away. You can't fix that. It's just there. You know? People are messy. People disappoint you, discourage you, unnerve you. You're going to disappoint some people. But if you find, but how do you respond to that? And what, ma- what will make you or break you in these letters of Paul, in this Instagram feed, in these highlights of his life, is that if you just stop with the first two statements, that's going to break you. You're just not going to make it. Not going to make it in church, not going to make it outside of the church. You're going to be miserable. That life is hard and people are messy. And if you stop at that, it's an unbearable burden to you. You're not going to do well. But if you also grab on to what Paul landed on, is that God is good. And how we respond when, when life gets hard is we shrink. You know? We praise God very eagerly when things are great. When we have a promotion or our relationships are good or we found love or our kids are flourishing. We praise them easily. We stop praising when things get hard. And the trick is, the supernatural thing is, is to praising more. Is to if you are even in chains, you will explode. With thing, things will come out of your mouth like they came out of the, Paul's mouth in Philippians 4. It's like the most luminous thing. So when things are hard, you double down on your relationship with God. That's the supernatural part. That's going to make you. That's going to change you. And then when people are messy, you double down on relationships. You double down. The church is a treasure. The church is life-giving. But our instinct is when, when you experience the messiness of human relationships is to shrink back. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to deal with this conflict. I'm not going to resolve. I'm going to sulk over here in the corner. 
guess what? People won't notice that you sulk in the corner because they're worried about their own sulking. Well, how come you, did, you didn't notice that I'm sulking in the corner? Just go and say something to somebody. Reach out, right? And my friend, this is, this is a godly man. He's a spiritual man because precisely because he said, I'm in a funk. I feel alone. Can we hang out more? It's that easy. It's that easy. You do not have to be alone. You do not have to walk alone. You do not have to suffer alone. It's not according to God's will. That's why we have the church. So as we take communion, um, I want to leave you with just two questions to meditate on. When life gets hard, do you run to God? And the second question is this. When people are messy, do you run to people? Let's pray. Let's pray.